stories of entrepreneurs and how they overcame the struggles and challenges to get where they are today. This is Believe in the Entrepreneur with Joel Sandoval, CPA. What's going on? Welcome to another episode of Believe in the Entrepreneur, and I'm super excited because I've got Alan in the house. Alan is born in Honolulu, Hawaii, and was raised here in the city of Bakersfield. He's earned his bachelor's degree from the University of Santa Barbara and uh, has been in the mortgage industry since 2002. He's produced over $250 million in loan closing and has helped over 1,000 families with their pursuit of home wealth development. He has a wife, Sonia, two children, three dogs, two cats, two turtles. You can basically say a farm. <laughs> he enjoys riding, public speaking, family time, church, fishing, and golf, and is frequently featured on MoneyWise Radio and has published contributions in USA Today, as well as the Bakersfield Californian, and is actively posting content on social media. Alan, thanks for being on the show. Thanks, Joel. Yeah, man. I'm excited to have you here. Well, thanks for inviting me. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You guys have been really killing it in your guys' social media stuff, too. So I'm proud to be uh, here representing the mortgage side, I guess. I'm sure you've had other mortgage professionals on the show, too. So that's good. Yeah, man. And I think the the one thing that makes you unique in the mortgage industry, if, if I uh, kind of compare you to other people on the show, is that uh, you've really started to you know make a brand for yourself on social media, which is pretty cool. We were just talking about that earlier before the show. Sure. And um, you know, it just kind of shows you know, your expertise and how much you know about the mortgage industry. Um, but for those that don't know who you are, Alan, why don't we just take it back? I mean, I, I'm assuming you weren't born a mortgage person. No. <laughs> so, well, yeah, just let me know, you know, tell me how you got into the industry, you know, what attracted to you. I mean, you've been in it for, in it for a while now. Yeah, for a couple of weeks. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it's an interesting story. I don't think anybody's ever born into the mortgage industry. Right. It's not something that you... Or ask this little kid, what do you want to become? Oh, I want to be a firefighter. I want to be mm -hmm. uh, a doctor. No, I want to be a mortgage professional. That doesn't happen, right? Right. So I graduated from UC Santa Barbara in 2000. My wife and I were newlyweds, and I had a commission in the United States Air Force. And my wife just had a premonition that, you know, I shouldn't do it. Mm -hmm. So I turned down the commission, and uh, later on, 2001, 9-11 happened, mm. right? And then my dad had a stroke. Oh, wow. So I came back to Bakersfield, and at that time, I was considering going into either law school, mm -hmm. teaching, or become an optometrist. I know that's very wide <laughs> range, but I had a lot of interest. Yeah. And one of the things that was fascinating to me is I just liked helping people. Yeah. My giftedness is in serving, so that was the thing that I wanted to do. With my dad having a stroke, he actually was a loan officer, mm -hmm. and uh, I tell this story on my podcast, but... You know, he closed his business down in 1996. I believe it was 96. He had an automotive business. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was an entrepreneur magazine. And he said, oh, you can just become a loan officer. Mm. Back then, the standards were not the same. Right? Yeah. So he started <laughs> doing subprime loans. I had no idea what he was doing. I was okay. busy in college. And we had always struggled financially. Mm, really? You know? And that was one of those challenges that my dad is at a Memorial Hospital. Mm -hmm. And he was intubated. He comes out of intubation. They pull the tubes out. And my dad looks at me and he says, what's going on? Yeah. So I tell my dad, I said, well, dad, you had a stroke. Mm. And um, you've lost a partial use of your legs. Oh, wow. It's called an infarction. And my dad said, I farted. I'm like, no, dad, you didn't <laughs> fart. It's like he was always a jokester. But yeah. the reality was is that 
my older brother is in medicine and he comes over and he tells my dad, he says, dad, you know, it cuts off the blood supply to your legs and you have limited mobility. So you're gonna have to learn to walk again, Mm -hmm. which he never really regained back. Mm. But my dad, the first thing he thought about was, I need you to go to the office and close those loans. Really? Right. Oh, wow. Right. (laughs) I mean, I have no clue. Um, So his office was there on Chester and 24th. There was, it's still, I think a West American bank now. Okay. But previously it was golden empire mortgage. Mm. And when I went into that office, Again, I was in much better shape and jet black hair, and <laughs> they thought I was a delivery person. That's funny. And I'm like, well, no, I need to help my dad close his loan. So they said, well, you can't be in here because I was in the, the loan officer, I guess, pen, if you will, because they had some open desks. It wasn't like cubicles, but it was mm. just open desks. Okay. So manager comes over and asks how my dad's doing, and I told him, I said, not well. Mm-hmm. And he says, well, you can't sit there. And I'm like, well, I've already been told that by the receptionist. So I go out in the hallway and just wait there. He mm-hmm. comes back with an application for employment. Oh, really? <laughs> so he takes my identification, and I'm exaggerating here, but it felt like 10 minutes. He came back, and he says, you're hired. No way. Really? You're hired to do home loans. Oh, wow. Go back there and talk to the processors. <laughs> Great. <laughs> so I go all the way down to the end of this hallway. You pass the safe on the left, and I open this door. And back then, 2002, it was it's right around that time, 2001 to 2002, is that November to January timeframe. Um, you had fax machines, mm-hmm. which were standard. Mm-hmm. You had all the phone systems. Nobody was really using, you know, cell phones at right. that time. And again, they're like, well, you can drop the package off there. I'm like, I don't work for a delivery service, you know? <laughs> and so <clears throat> I explained to them my situation. So then they go to the corner and they pull out two skinny legal size folders, you know, and they're colored folders, you know, for different loan officers. Mm-hmm. And they hand them to me. So I open the book and I mean, the folder I'm looking, at, I'm like, okay, well, what does this mean? Right. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's just a bunch of, bunch of papers. Yeah, it's, it's just, it's words. I can yeah. read it. Yeah. I, mean, I understand <laughs> what I'm reading. Right. So I go back up and talk to the manager and I ask him, I said, can you help me with this? So he opens it up and he says, well, we need to get, you know, verification employment. I need to get this to get the DTIs. And I was like, okay, I understand what you said. Mm-hmm. Like, but how do I do it? What does this mean? <laughs> so he disappears and he comes back with a eight and a half by 11 binder mm-hmm. and he hands it to me, blows it off, oh, and wow. gives it to him. And he says, read this. This okay. is the HUD manual 4155. Oh, wow. Back then, I didn't know what it was, but it's the underwriting Bible. It literally is where all underwriting standards mm. for mortgages stem from. Right. Right. It's like you reading base tax code right, right. for federal and state. Well, for me, I took that thing home and just read it. Wow. <clears throat> well, mind you, I studied English in college. I was used to digesting thousands of pages, you know, but I get home and I finish this thing. I have to go back to Santa Barbara because I was working at the time full time at LensCrafters, mm-hmm. right? And I go back to the office next morning and I said to him, I says, I read it, but I still don't understand how I can fix these problems that you need in this book. He says, you didn't read it. I said, I read it. So he opens the book, he flips to a page, asks a question, I answer the question. Mm. Flips to a page, asks a question, I answer the question. He goes, you did read it. <laughs> You're the only loan officer who's read this thing. <laughs> Mind you, That's a lot funny. of underwriters yeah. have to know that very, very well, but the originator doesn't typically read the 4155. They right. just kind of pick up bits and pieces mm. through osmosis. Gotcha. That's what it, right? Yeah. So that was me, the brand new originator, mm-hmm. 
didn't really know anything how I learned about the basic underwriting guidelines. But then I asked him, the, the manager, again, I need more information. So he went and got a book. There was a published book. And I believe the title was Origination Success by Michael Baker. Mm-hmm. And the manager says, this guy used to work at our office, but he's big time now. He's in Fresno. Wow. <laughs> I'm like, wow, big time is Fresno? Right. Bakersfield, right? Yeah. But that book was very good. That okay. book covered A to Z, understanding loan origination, how to take an application, what it is to verify income, what are things to commonly calculate income, mm. what is overtime, what is commission, how do you break down small businesses, looking at Schedule C, 1120s, 1065s, understanding that process, how to market yourself, how to build a database. It was comprehensive. Wow. That didn't happen overnight. That took weeks to get through. Yeah, I can imagine. But I learned a very strong foundation Mm. in the mortgage origination industry Right. that I realized after getting started that a lot of people never did. Mm -hmm. They just become very good at like, okay, I can do an FHA loan Mm -hmm. or I can do a subprime loan which you really didn't need to do anything for a subprime loan. Right. Right. Um, and then some conventional guidelines mixed in here, but I found a lot of originators wind up just doing the things that they figured out how to do. Mm-hmm. So everybody that came in, they tried to squish them in that box. Okay. Which was a disservice to clients. Right. Because they were treating everybody the same without having a discernment of what was the best scenario for that bar. Right. What was practical and applicable to their financial situation. Right. And then also probably more importantly, what's suitable for their overall financial goals? Like where do they start now and where can they be in the future? Because I will argue this and I'll have pundits to say no, but real estate is one of the single greatest forms of wealth development tools available to us as Americans. For sure. So hundred percent. Yeah. And I think it's just laying the groundwork. You know, and that's, mm-hmm. that's my start to the mortgage industry. That's how I got started. Nobody wanted to work with me cause I was new and I just didn't know anybody. Mm-hmm. Right. So it took a while for me to really start establishing, I say a core group of people that I started working with mm-hmm. and just some under the radar. I mean, people didn't really know about me. I think until about a year ago, like you said, on the social media stuff, because I really, it was really about relationship. Right. Yeah, hundred percent. Now, one thing you said that I thought was very interesting, cause this was actually, like for me, uh, reading books is very hard for me. Um, you know, I actually graduated top of my class at Cal State University Bakersfield, but I'm terrible at like sitting down and like I'll, I'll fall asleep by page two. Like, <laughs> so like I'm I'm more of a visual learner. Like if I have a uh, you know a video of someone explaining it to me, like that just like I can take that in and then now apply it into sure. re- the real world. But like just reading pages to me, it's, I can do it, but I feel like it takes, at least naturally for me, it takes more effort. And so, but it sounded like for you, you had a book that had basically was like the Bible on, you know, for mortgages. And so maybe it was your learning style. Like, was it just a book alone that you're like, Hey, I'm, you know, so I can do mortgages now. Again, I'll go back to the idea that you can read what's there, mm-hmm. understand the words definition, but application is not there. Gotcha. So the 4155 HUD manual, and now it's 4000.1, just so you guys know, these are later editions. I mean, we were 20 years past, right? Mm -hmm. They are the premise in which a bank evaluates risk, Mm -hmm. right? I give this example to clients regularly. I said, if you had $300,000 you saved your whole life for, and you had three applicants asking you for that money, and say one borrower comes in and they said, you know what, I'm a great person. 
you know, I don't have any debt. I've got $5,000 to buy a house. Will you lend me the money? Mm. Okay. Then you look at the second applicant. You know, I have had a job, the same job for 15 years, but, you know, I like to go to Vegas once in a while and I miss a couple small payments in there, but, you know, I'm good. I've got great income. Mm-hmm. And you've got the third applicant. You know, I've been saving up for this down payment. I've got 20% down. I have no debt. You know, any debts that I have, I pay them off every month. Mm-hmm. Well, who you give the money to? Yeah, number three, for yeah, sure. It's it's the least risk. Right. So when you try to explain that to consumer, people come as they are. I, I like to call this the come to Jesus moment. Let's be perfectly honest with you. Mm-hmm. What you've done prior to coming to apply for a home loan, mm-hmm. that's the past. Right. I can't change the past. Right. I can work with what you've brought to the table, mm-hmm. right? But that's application through repetitions, right? Mm-hmm. So reading the book, yes, I could answer a question that was asked of me, but mm. I didn't know the application of that yet. Mm. Okay. So the second book I was talking about, Origination mm-hmm. Success, that book taught you application. Mm. And that took much longer to read. Mm. Okay. So when you have scenarios like that, I like to use baseball analogies and I call it the number of at bats, mm-hmm. right? What's the difference between somebody hits the ball two out of 10 times versus three out of 10 times in the major leagues? It's about 5 million a year. Wow. Because that average of 200 versus 300 shows that you can hit the ball and get on base one more time. Right. But it's about reps. Mm -hmm. The number of strikeouts that they have is also the number of times they've gotten up to bat. Right. So I like to say, do you want to work with somebody that has had multiple reps, that has seen multiple situations, has troubleshooted problems, Mm -hmm. or do you want somebody that has a degree Mm. but no life application? Right that doesn't learn from their mistakes and likes to try things new on you. Mm-hmm. The reality is I would take the person with the reps, right? Right. Because they've seen lots of things. hundred percent. And that's what makes your business valuable. I'm sure is saying, you know what? We've seen that. I know that's not the best way to do it, but here's a workaround that we figured out that might be a, you know, beneficial to you as a business. Right. Or in as, as an individual. Right. You know, and then in the mortgage industry, it's no different. I'd like to say that, you know, when you apply something and you learn something from it, then the building process is not as difficult because you have a very strong foundation mm-hmm. of knowledge. And that way, when scenarios come your way, you can say, you know what? That's a good question. I've never come across that. Let me ask. Right. I'd rather tell a client, let me ask, than to just spitball something out there because it doesn't help them. Right. And I can't stand behind it. Right. But I've seen that happen. Mm-hmm where they promise something, now they're two and a half weeks into escrow and mm-hmm. they can't close this thing because somebody took a shortcut promising because they wanted to have that business. Right. That's no benefit to anybody. Right. We have families on the line. Let's be perfectly honest. If you personally right now, mm-hmm. Joel had to uproot your family and move in 30 days, would you be ready? Right. It's hard. Yeah. Right. People take time off of work to move. They get a, you know, a reservation for you know, a moving truck or a moving company. They're trying to turn on utilities. All of this hinges on the closing of that escrow. Mm-hmm. So I have to take that very seriously. These are families. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very important that we don't forget that. Mm-hmm. If you forget there's a family on the other end, then you're doing a disservice to people you're serving. Right. And that just hurts me because I've seen people take that lightly. 100%. And a lot of people feel, oh, I can go online and I get a deal. Oh, great. 
but you're not going to get the transparency, you're not going to get the communication, the accountability, the local presence, that feeling of trust. Mm-hmm. You know, Bakersfield's not that big. Let's be perfectly honest. Right. People know people that know people. So we right. want to do our best for our best, but then also ask for commitments to say, listen, I will work with you and do my best to give you the industry experience time and what it's taken to get the mush between my ears to be more than just a brain in there. Mm-hmm. But I want you to be committed to the process too. Right. Because I can never be the low price leader. Right. I mean, there's, I think people discount things to the point where they're like, well, yeah, it's the cheapest. It's like, but do you really get what you thought you were going to get? Right. Yeah, exactly. That was a long answer to your question. No, I like it though. Yeah. What I think was, it's pretty interesting though, like talking about differentiation, you know, um, social media obviously being one of them for you. But what I even find more interesting and probably even more valuable is that you understood like the underwriting portion of mortgages where, like you said, most loan originators, uh, they just kind of know what's needed to get the business where you like, you almost know what's needed in order for them to qualify for a loan. It kind of almost guarantees, not guarantees, but you know, you have better chances of success of making sure that they get into the home that they want or buy that investment property that they're looking for because you know, the criteria that's needed in order to qualify, um, which I think is another differentiation, you know, of you versus other lenders in the industry. I think it's just, if you have a high level of confidence, I like to tell real estate partners that I talk with, if I'm the hinge that closes the door. Mm -hmm. We're going to close every time, Mm. every single time. Mm. If what I do gets you paid, Mm -hmm. we're going to close every single time. Mm. The only reasons we won't is there's something wrong with the collateral Mm -hmm. or something catastrophic happens to the borrower's financial situation. Mm. I've had both of those happen. Mm. I've had clients die during the transaction. Right. I'm sorry. You have to cancel escrow. That's not something that I wanted. Yeah. You have no control. Yeah. Second, the house didn't appraise or there was condition related items we couldn't get past and seller was not negotiable, Mm. right? If the borrower spent all their money and they did something stupid that we advised them against, Mm -hmm. then again, outside of my direct control. Mm -hmm. But like anything else, there are no 100% certainties. But if you can knock out and have 95 plus percent, that's pretty darn good odds. Right. Right. And close dates. Um, some people take it as suggestions and other people take it very seriously. Close dates are very important, but mm-hmm. I, I explain this very clearly with business partners, real estate agents, title companies, everyone. We're like the pharmacist. Mm-hmm. The agent is the doctor. Mm. They write that prescription. Mm. When I get that contract and I read through it, if there's something that may kill the patient, or there's a genetic interaction that's not going to work, mm. I'm going to call the doctor and say, did you mean to write it this way? Mm. And when they say, well, that was the only way to get the offer accepted, then I said, cancel the contract mm. because the borrower cannot fulfill these terms up front. Mm. Why would I take them through on the hopes that they have enough money to close mm-hmm. when I've already told you this is all the money they have available? Right. Why would I put someone through that kind of agony only mm-hmm. to be let down? Because what do you think happens to a consumer that gets declined on a loan and they're already in escrow? Oh, man, I could just imagine. Do you think the trust level is going to go up or down for real estate professionals? Down for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you think they're going to tell their friends? Yes. So the reality is we want to help clients serve them to give them the best possible outcome so that they refer their friends and family. Because right. Because it's about the families. That's what I'm trying to tell you. It's like it all comes back to the core energy of what we're doing. It's mm-hmm. to serve and love others. In that sense, we have to serve with the right heart mm-hmm. and the right mindset. Because if you have positive outcomes on the other end, mm-hmm. your mindset's what drives that too because we're sitting there trying to push for positive outcomes. Right. 
you know, it's been really popular. There's a new program that pops out. It's like, okay, great. So then they start pushing this product, but mm-hmm. they don't really know the semantics of how the thing operates on mm-hmm. the back end. Mm-hmm. And then you're making a mistake on somebody, right? Right. So if you don't know how to structure it, later on the bank will come back and correct you. Mm-hmm. And if you can't fix those correction points, then the deal is done. Right. So I always like to say that I have a plan A and a plan B, possibly a plan C, because many times clients qualify for more than one program. Right. We're going to go the one that best serves all parties involved. Right. But then if there's something that's going to be concerning on the front end, the big one is like solar, right? Or there's an issue with a lien on the property. I look at preliminary title report and I'm like, they're asking for this. And I see this as a lien on the property for the seller. Did they address this? Mm-hmm. I'd be, I'm probably not exaggerating. There's probably about 50, 60% of loan officers that don't read the preliminary title report. Yeah. What they do is they get it, mm-hmm. their TC or their processor sends data and it goes to the processor and the processor then sends it to the underwriter. Mm. But here's the thing. If you're going to get slapped and you knew it was coming, you probably move out of the way. Mm-hmm. So look at the preliminary title report. It's there for a reason. That's right. It's called preliminary. It's not the final title report. It's the preliminary. So it tells you if there's any open liens, if there's taxes delinquent, if there's anything that's on there that would cause an issue. Mm-hmm. Or it becomes an issue. Mm. So in the first five days of that transaction, you want to evaluate that. Mm. Because if I can see a problem coming, I can at least tell the parties involved, hey, we're going to have to take a little time to figure this out. Mm-hmm. So it's notorious to have this happen is that we have real estate agents that take listings but haven't done their due diligence on the front end. Mm-hmm. And I'll bring up solar as a good example. So there was a time when solar companies were just putting liens on properties. They were opening new power purchase agreements or new lease agreements or these solar loans. And they did not have any thought process about the ability to transfer that property in a forced in a sale situation. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that affects title. Mm-hmm. It affects the, the lender's ability mm-hmm. to close that transaction. Even though the borrower wants the house, if they can't get clear title, the bank's not going to give you the money. Right. Because they're not committed. Mm -hmm. And I think that sometimes people think, well, they said I'm pre-qualified. The bank has to give me the money. No, they don't. Mm -hmm. They can give you the money if you qualify and you meet all of their terms and conditions. Right. Yeah, 100%. So we we try our best to just be proactive. Right. And the only stress that that consumer should have is condition the property, appraisal, making sure their money is available at closing. Right. That's it. Yeah, I think that what most people don't understand is like the quality of the lender is like vital for you to have a successful closing. Because, sure. you know, I as putting myself on the on the seller side, right, if, if I get an offer from someone, even if it's a great offer, if this lend, if this loan, the lo- pre-qualification letter looks, you know, I have a gut feeling that maybe they shouldn't be pre-qualified or that letter was just drafted, you know, without actually any pre-qualification being done, you know, I'm not going to accept that offer, right? So, you know, I will usually, um, since I'm a real estate agent myself, uh, will call the actual buyer's agent and be like, hey, um, I need to speak to the lender, or I'll call the lender directly and ask, you know, to see, you know, what are the chances of this actually closing have they done their due diligence on this bar because i don't want to accept this offer and then 45 days from now have escrow closed because they can't even find they can't even get the money 
you know, to, to basically purchase the property. And we've just already wasted 45, yes. 60 days. Now they have to find a new lender when I could have already found the qualified borrower right. to begin with. Yeah, and this is why the, the families involved in business entities, they're also included in that because nobody wants to open an escrow to have it fail, bottom line. Right. Right. So a lot of what happens on the front end is if a pre-qualification takes a little bit longer, that's okay because there's being there's due diligence being done. I'll give you a great example. Um, I closed a first-time home buyer loan. I think it was December of 2022. And in the wings were the parents kind of watching how this was going. Mm-hmm. Okay. Come late January, I get a call from the parents, and they want to see if they can pre-qualify to buy a house. So I said, great, absolutely. Welcome to come in. They sit down in my office. And there are very specific questions they asked. So I said, you've done this before. I said, yes, we have. I said, so what was the outcome? And I just listened. I want to identify the pain points. Mm-hmm. If I know your pain points, then I can tell you if I can address those. Right. Or we have to deal with them again. Mm-hmm. Or if this is something we can bypass. Right. So previously, they had been in a purchase of an investment property, and it failed. Mm-hmm. They had the 20% down, but I didn't get a lot of detail so much as that they felt that the loan officer didn't know what they were doing. Mm. And that's just bottom line. Right. So I went through the qualification and the husband had just switched from a job he'd been on for almost 14 years Mm. to going to a commission only job. Mm. So this particular person was a truck driver. Okay. Okay. So the issue that we run into is you have to find income that's stable, right? Consistent and likely to continue. Right. This is the basic tenets of any type of continuous income. Right. Nobody's going to guarantee that you're going to be employed tomorrow. However, if we have history and we have current, we can project forward that it's going to stay consistent. Correct. Yeah. Again, going back to that scenario, if you're going to lend somebody 300,000 of your money, you want to make sure they have a job mm-hmm. or income source to pay you. Right. So we call the first employer, and it winds up being that this particular company used a sub-payroll company. A lot of small businesses farm out their payroll to payroll services. Mm -hmm. So we contact the payroll service, and we have a third-party verifier that does this, and there was no calls back, nothing. Mm -hmm. A week and a half goes by, and I said, I called the consumer. I'm like, hey, can you just give me a number? Oh, yeah, I called this person. Call this person. She handled it right away. Mm -hmm. So I get back the verification employment, it says commission 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 Mm. he's earning way more than he was in 2022 when he Mm. left and all of 2021 Mm. and that's why he left because he's paid more right but underwriting guidelines says commission income you need to have a developed 12 month average as a minimum Mm. i only had five months Mm. so the borrower's like we have 800 credit scores we've got over 150,000 in the bank we only need 85 to buy this property I said, I understand. I said, if it was just you, the wife, she had W-2 income, been with the company for a long time, so very stable income. Mm -hmm. But his income, I couldn't use. Mm. So I had this big hole. I said, the only alternative I have is to go with a debt service coverage ratio loan, DSCR. Mm. I said, but you're looking at rates are in the high eights right now, and you're not a subprime borrower. You should be getting prime rates. Like You have the the profile for that. But we got to get to 12 months. Mm. So they were a bit frustrated at first. Mm. And I think as they started digging, because I didn't know during that time, they had talked to another lender told mm. them they could do something. And I'm like, well, 
they took a shortcut. Mm. And when it got to the bank, it's going to be asking the same stuff and mm. you can run through the same hoops. Mm. So I'd rather take my time now and do it right. Because if you get into escrow and you have to cancel at escrow, nobody's happy. Right. And you're wasting time because for a listing agent, mm-hmm. that's market time. For sure. So you don't want to lose marketing time on a listing because you had a potential qualified borrower that went on to another listing because you have another one tying up that escrow. Right. So communication is key. Mm-hmm. Asking questions, understanding where they're at, you know, have they been validated. Now, there's certain things lo- lenders legally can say and others that can't, mm-hmm. right? Because there's personal private information. We have a fiduciary to protect those types of things. Right. We also have to do right by the borrower, not what pads pocketbooks. Mm-hmm. It's really not about the money. It's about the family. Again, right. what's the outcome? Mm-hmm. So, you know, you'll have real estate agents call and say, do you have DU findings? Do you know what DU is? Me personally? Yeah. No. Okay. But I have had agents ask what DU is. Have you guys seen the movie, The Three Amigos? Years ago, you're probably young. <laughs> Chevy I know Chase, what, Martin I know Short. what movie it is, but I've never seen it. There's a scene in yeah. it where uh, the jefe, you know, they're in this gunfight and, you know, they're partying and, you know, they're, they're shooting off their guns and everything else. And all of a sudden he says, jefe. What do you need? He says, do I have a plethora? <laughs> and the guy's like, of course you have a plethora, Effie. And he goes like, do you know what a plethora is? And that's the way it goes. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't know what it means, but you're asking for it. Right. So I have agents that will ask for DU. I'm like, do you know what you're reading? Mm. And I can't just email it to you. You know why? It's personal identifying information, mm. credit scores, account balances, Employment history. Right. Would you want me sending your application with that data over? Definitely not. Okay. So you need to get authorized and specific release. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. Second thing is what are you looking at? Mm. Here's the thing. Junk in, junk out. That's why a prequal letter is useless. Right. Unless you validated it, Mm -hmm. that prequalification letter you can type up. Mm -hmm. Automated underwriting, which is a form of automated loan approval through the systems Mm -hmm. that underwriters use and banks use du is one type of automated underwriting Mm. okay so desktop underwriting is what du stands for and that's typically for your fha va and um, conventional loans fannie mae Mm. freddie mac uses lpa which is loan um, prospector Mm -hmm. Um, and that's a different underwriting system completely Mm -hmm. If you're doing a USDA loan, no, Freddie Mac, excuse me, uses LPA and USDA uses something called GUS. It's a government underwriting system. Mm. So when an agent asks for DU, Mm -hmm. I can't just release it. But I'm also asking, what are you wanting to validate? Mm -hmm. So there are questions you can ask. Mm. These are really good things to ask. Mm -hmm. Number one, have you verified borrower's funds? Have Mm. you validated income? Have you verified the income is usable for your transaction? Mm. Does the borrower have assets necessary for reserves if needed? Mm. Okay. Are there any credit-related items that need to be updated in order for the borrower to qualify? Mm-hmm. Right. These are very good questions. Right. And it tells me this person's asking the right question. Right. Right. I'm not releasing personal information. I'm mm-hmm. not doing anything. Then when you're done with that, you say, is there anything in this transaction that you foresee that would cause this to fail? Mm. It sounds silly, but you're just wanting to know, is it going to go through or not? Right. Right. 
So if you can answer positively all to those things, right, then you have a much stronger buyer. Hundred percent. I love those questions though because when I've I've called the other lenders and asked them, like I usually just ask the last question, like, is there anything that you foresee? They but obviously, exactly. So yeah. they're going to tell you whatever you want to hear. Jordan. Yeah, I know. So I'm like, I'm, I'm going to write those questions down. Yeah. So, and it's just important because any good lender will have all those answers for you. Right. If there's something that's in speculation, like I think it'll work, mm-hmm. you might want to walk away. Yeah, for sure. Right? Because the highest offer is not always the best offer. Right. Right. Um, also, this is a silly question, but it also is a valid question in a tight housing market. A borrower may be working on multiple offers on different properties at the same time, mm-hmm. only to see what will stick. Mm, right, because there's not as many cookies to bite, right? So you have to go off for many if you're going to try to get one. Right. So a good question to ask is: Do you have any open active offers on any of the real estate at this time? Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Think about this: What if you accepted their offer? And they had another offer they really wanted, and that one got accepted. What are they going to do to you after you've been in escrow five days? Uh, cancel. And you lost five days of marketing. Right, for sure. So if they answer yes, you'd say, okay, I like your offer, but I'm going to leave it open for backup offers until right. we can clear these conditions. For That's sure. protecting yourself. Yeah, and I think um, even when I've sold the property, like with that in mind, is like the motivation of the buyer, yeah. right? Because I've heard, like, I've had one offer that, was equal to, you know, just as good as the other offer. But this one's like, they really loved the house. They fell in love with it. Like, they just like, what else do we need to do to make this happen? Mm-hmm. So I'm like, all right, obviously that that's a good sign, right? Because, um, you know, I, they could obviously be not telling the truth, but sometimes you could read between the lines and, it's, sure. you know, they, they felt like they were, I felt like they were being honest. In most cases, if it's an owner-occupied residence, I would give favor to that. Right. It's a family that's going to occupy the house. Right. You have to really think about it. One of the reasons why there's higher interest rates and more requirements for investors is because they won't occupy the property. Right. HUD, Housing Urban Development, has done uh, lots of statistical data, and they said that owner-occupied residences build community. They develop long-lasting effects in an area, and it also has the ability to change the financial wealth in a family. Mm -hmm. Think of it this way. You know, in 1974, when they passed uh, certain guidelines to stop discrimination under the Equal Credit Opportunity Act, they said that it's unlawful for us to discriminate on basis of race, color, religion, national origin, sex, marital status, age. Mm-hmm. As long as you're old enough to enter into a contract or if you're receiving public assistance, we can't say no as long as you qualify for the terms. Mm-hmm. Well, in that framework, they said you cannot discriminate on somebody because you like them versus not liking another buyer. Mm-hmm. So even though that was written in, mm-hmm. the idea was is that there was this limiting factor of women and minorities being able to buy property. Mm-hmm. And because of that, their wealth growth was stagnant. Mm-hmm. So because of that, Families that could have bought homes in the 70s, their children and possibly their children's children now could also be homeowners because they have come with this mentality that mom and dad own a home. I'm going to own a home next. Mm, right. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So we teach those values mm-hmm. and that family stayed in that area. They hung out with the kids in the neighborhood. They right. went to the same schools. They graduated. <sighs> 
So it's a community. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's like, you know, people that smoke is usually their parents smoke as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah. You, you start to pick up these additional habits or values, right? right? But that's why they're bringing it up. Yeah. Well, that's why I would say if you could favor an owner-occupied versus an investor and all things being equal, I would try to give it to, I would converse with my seller. You know, I probably want to uh, encourage them. I can't tell them what to do. Right. Encourage them to accept the offer of that family that's going to live in the house. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, and I think that just like you said, what everyone wants is that closing. Of course. Yeah. So like, what are the like? Is the same example of yes. like who's who are you going to lend the money to? Yeah. Like, who am I going to accept the offer to? Uh, which is has the most likely uh, percentage of closing. So it's yeah, basically it's all about percentages of success, right? Right. We're we're not guaranteeing anything, but we're going to go where the highest success rate is. Right. And we just want to have that for as many transactions as we can. Right. So, and you know, in an ever-changing market, one of the trends I'm noticing now is some people still have short-term memories of where rates were <laughs> and short-term memories of how houses were selling and how right. fast they were selling. Yeah. And because of that recent memory, they forget all of the stuff that was prior to the lockdown. Right. Right. Yeah. Or houses were on the market for 45, 60 days. Right. And that was then, normal. Yeah, it was normal. That, <laughs> and we had a more balanced market. Yeah. We had maybe 12 to 2,000 homes in the market. Mm-hmm. And buyers and sellers could openly negotiate. It was regular to get some type of seller concession. Yeah. That's not what they think the market is now. They think, oh, I'm going to put it on. It's going to sell. Or, man, okay, this guy told me it's going to market for, you know, 60 days. But I want this sold in a week. Yeah. It's just <laughs> not going to happen. Right, right. So as long as there's clear expectations set on the on the front end, I think you're gonna have success. Right. But it comes down to the core thing: what's best for the family, mm-hmm. you know, and how are we serving them? But then the last thing, probably more is good communication. Right. If your agent or your lender goes dark, mm-hmm. that's where it's scary. Right. You don't hear from them. They're not responding to text. When you're working with an online lender, you know where they live. Do you know where they're situated? Sometimes right. they don't even tell you what state they're in. Right. But they've got all your personal information, mm-hmm. literally. The soft underbelly of the turtle where the shell's off. You've got their name, date of birth, social income, assets, bank account numbers. You just put that all on the internet. Mm-hmm. Now it's within a secure portal with a bank that you don't know who they are. Mm-hmm. You don't have no idea what that lender looks like. You have no idea when they're going to respond to your email, your phone call, and you're definitely not going to get their personal phone. Right. So there's a little of accountability there that you're missing when you do that. For sure. Yeah, 100%. Now, you know, speaking of short-term memory, like it's funny, like I think that just applies to humans in general. Like, for example, um, my wife uh, just went to go visit her her newborn niece and uh, she's having baby fever again. (laughs) But it's funny because like, you know, when we had our second-born daughter, she's like, I'm never having a baby again. I think this is the most terrible pain. And all of a sudden, you know, she wants to have babies. Like she forgot about all that pain. So as they, you know, people forget about those interest rates that were higher, that were normal back then. So I think short-term memory is just kind of a human it's, trait. It's natural. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? One thing you said, I want to take you a little bit back, Alan, um, you know, you've been in the mortgage industry for over 20 years. I mean, you mentioned that, you know, the way you did business back then, like you said, you know, there were phone, you know, regular phones, there was no cell phones, uh, fax machines were normal, you know, there wasn't email. So um, the way you did business was with, you know, based off relationships. 
And, you know, we talked before the show that, you know, you and I had gone golfing once, which is how, you know, I remembered you. Um, and, you know, but now, you know, it's now kind of transitioned a little bit into, you know, the social media space. You know, you're obviously, you know, posting content, which I love your content, great information, great stuff. So how have you, how have you made that transition? Are you still building relationships or what's the balance between relationships and so social media? One thing that's really changed a lot is when the lockdown happened, April of 2020, mm -hmm. there was this mad rush to figure out how to continue to operate businesses, mm. right? So as a result, businesses literally closed their doors and had people work from home. Mm -hmm. So technology and fintech really had to come to the forefront, meaning 90% of your applications were going to be online. Mm-hmm. Zoom really shot up as far as its popularity. It had been around prior to that, mm -hmm. right? Microsoft Teams went through the roof, and then you had other competitors come into that space. A lot of that was by necessity, mm -hmm. right? So the dynamics between a kneecap-to-kneecap -kneecap meeting where they're sitting at your desk, we're having a conduit conversation where you could see, hear, and sense inflections in voice, Right body gestures, different things that tell you if you're communicating effectively, mm -hmm. right? That all changed. Mm. So I'm going to invite you to my office. One time you come, you'll see, like, I have, you know, lots of thank you notes and other things that have come because people are truly appreciative, which I'm, you know, very, very humbled for because they don't have to write a right. letter say thank you, but they did. Mm -hmm. But I like to say that's social proof right there. Mm. These are families that were affected because of me and our team working towards a positive end for that family. Mm -hmm. But when the dynamics change and we're told you need to be on social media, the only reason that I started to do it was is because I realized that there were now there were very few people in our area that are actually educating the way mm. that I tried to educate. Mm. Right? Yeah. So I like to say that if I'm teaching you something you already know, mm -hmm. then it's validation. Mm. If I'm teaching you something you didn't know, it's newfound knowledge. Mm. And now because you have that knowledge, you become accountable for knowing that information. Mm. So you'll make less mistakes in that arena. Right. So it's very commonplace that people think, okay, I know it all. Like, um, I got a guy. Mm -hmm. He's like, I've got a guy. We're like, right. who's the guy? We're like, you know, do we know the guy? He's like, no, you know, he just, he, he'll take care of it. Right. It's like the, the cleaner. Like, right? <laughs> he's like, what are you talking about? The banks don't have any like secrets here. Like yeah. the guide's pretty clear. Everybody yeah. knows that stuff. But the dynamics have changed. And because mm -hmm. of that, mm -hmm. this is really sad to say, mm -hmm. you know, but in 2021, I had the highest producing year. Mm -hmm. that I ever had in my career because of the low-hanging fruit. I didn't do anything special, but interest rates were in the twos right. and threes. Yeah. Right? And I had a, a pretty reasonable database, and mm -hmm. people just call and ask questions. Mm -hmm. So I closed a lot of loans. Mm -hmm. But the second thing that was interesting about it is I didn't see these people. Mm. I could bump into them at Target or Costco, mm -hmm. and I wouldn't know who they are. Right. And that's been really sad for me. Mm. I'm used to seeing somebody, give them a handshake or a hug, see how the family's doing. Really? Now it's like, hi. Yeah. <laughs> Where do I know you're from? Yeah. Like, oh, you closed my loan. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah. So 
I figured if I'm going to do this, mm-hmm. you know, it, nobody ever seems to be ready, right? We always think about it as like, oh, my hair doesn't look good and my teeth are not super wide. You know, I'm a little chubby. I got, well, everybody has their own hangups. Right. But it's no different from sitting in your office. They're going to see you. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So the meme goes like the real estate agent's card and then the actual, you know, and you see that they don't look anything like their right. card. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's nothing. like, yeah. So I, I just tell people, listen, I am who I am. I'm yeah. here local. I'm a normal guy. You know, I like to have fun. I want to help people. And I make mistakes. Yeah. I try to make as little mistakes when it comes to finance, but I can't hit the ball straight when I golf. Mm-hmm. You know, I can <laughs> do certain things very, very well. And right. I stay in that giftedness. Yeah. Right. So I don't want to do things that I'm not well equipped to do because then I'd be practicing on you. And mm-hmm. I'd rather tell you, hey, this is a new program. Let's talk about it. We'll walk through this with you. Mm-hmm. But because these are new things, the dynamic nature, you know, things changing all the time is normal today. Mm-hmm. I know tax laws change every year. Oh, yeah, for sure. Right? Mm-hmm. And if you didn't have a good foundation, a base tax law of the things that you've seen. Right. Then the updates would mean nothing. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. And that's yeah. the same thing in our industry. So mm-hmm. they're constantly evolving and changing things mm-hmm. to suit current market conditions. Right. But ultimately... Banks do things for business purposes Mm -hmm. and it's all about risk for sure. So that's kind of the change and kind of what's happened and why, you know, getting into the space has been important. It's just top of mind. If people know who I am or see me, yeah, they kind of have an idea, right? Because I really hadn't attended a lot of real estate agent functions. I'm not really part of any type of clicks, I guess. It's Mm -hmm. hard to describe other than, you know, people know. And I hope that if I call and say, Hey, this person's ready to go. They're like, wow. Yeah, that, okay, well, let's look at that offer seriously. It might be a little bit less, but we know that's going to close. Right. Right. There's a certainty there that feels a lot more comfortable than I'm going to make 2000 more on this transaction. Right. Yeah. Your, I think your reputation, you know, like you said, as you know, a lender, your ability to close, like you're that hinge that you said, yeah. you close every time. Why wouldn't you not put yourself in a position where you can close every time? Because right. your paychecks are in close dates too. They're such an important thing. Right. So I don't like to close at the end of the month. Mm. Why? Because everybody's in line to close at the end of the month. <laughs> Let me close on the 4th, 6th. Let's yeah. close on the 18th. Let's yeah. turn the 20th. Just give me an opportunity mm-hmm. to show you why that methodology makes more sense. Right. Because you're not dealing with the crowds. You're dealing with a fast track. Right. So on average, our transactions are closing in 21 days or less. Wow. A lot of times I can close in 14 or less, but the problem is sellers aren't ready. Buyers mm-hmm. aren't ready. Like I said, so fast because... When you have all the pre-work done, mm-hmm. then it moves very quickly. Right. Because you're not dealing with all the fluff. You're not yeah. validating like extra stuff that's new to the transaction. Right. And then a lot of times just sellers aren't ready. So I always ask the question, is this house vacant mm-hmm. or occupied? It's vacant. Do you guys want to close sooner? Mm. Agent's like, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, why not? <laughs> yeah. Right. But then you've yeah. got situations where people are building a new house. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, then you have to do a rent back for 45, 60 days. Mm. Okay. Tell me these things. Right. Because I also have to lock that rate. Mm. And the lower, the shorter lock period you have, the less expensive it is for the consumer. Mm. So a 15-day lock is cheaper than a 30-day lock, which is cheaper than a 45-day lock, which is cheaper than a 60-day lock. That's why new construction, when you have a 180-day lock, it's more expensive. Mm. And people usually pay a lock fee in the front Mm. because that lender's holding that money out no matter what happens to the market. Right. Right. Yeah, it's a longer period of time. Yeah. So that's why the shorter term locks are better. Gotcha. Makes sense. Now, um, going back to your social media, one thing you said is that, you know, there's not a lot of lenders in the space that are actually educating. 
right? And and giving and it's like you're either acknowledging acknowledging what they already know or it's new information. Um, that being said, and you 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 know you come off as especially with your thank you notes as a very relationship based person. Uh, but that being said, you know you're still running a business, right? So how do you balance? Uh, let's say there's a bar that comes in and maybe they're not as you might, they're not as serious. Um, they're just kind of like kicking the ball around uh, as opposed to someone who's like, Hey, I'm ready to buy, you know, you don't want to waste your time, but you're also relationship based, based off your personality. So um, when it comes to social media, like you also, it's almost in the same way, like well, how much free information are you going to be giving? You know, you don't want to be wasting your time either. So do you, what's your balance or how, what's your viewpoint on that? You know, I really haven't even thought about it that way. It's really <laughs> funny. So, <clears throat> okay. I'll tell you a short story. Yeah. When I was working for Lens Crafters back in Santa Barbara, there was a gentleman um, who really had a lasting impact on me. So, Abel, if you're listening to this, buddy, you're, you're the one. <laughs> so, he was um, an assistant manager. Mm-hmm. And this guy was a master optician. What an optician is, is it is the person professional that creates the lenses in the glasses. Okay. Okay. So I learned how to do that. You know, you know how to make the lens from scratch. You actually grind the lens. You get to the correct base curve, the correct angles for spherical, all these other types of things for, you know, astigmatism, bifocals. It's just, it gets really, it's really fascinating. A lot of fun stuff. Right. Okay. And I remember talking to him and I asked him, it's like, Abel, why are you not the lab manager? Mm. And he looked at me and he says, I was. And I was like, well, why did you stop? I mean, you're constantly back there teaching these guys and help me. He says, well, corporate and I had a falling out. Mm. I was like, well, what's that? He says, so here's the thing. I wanted to teach our lab techs everything. Like, I wanted them to become masters themselves. Mm. Okay? Because... When I went on vacation, I didn't want them to call me. I want them to figure it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because they gained the skills. Right, right. Teach them how to fish as opposed to giving them the but fish. But if you teach yeah. them just enough to get by, you can never take a vacation. Right. But corporate says, no, you just teach them that so they can produce, even though they're taking you know a little bit longer. I want them to get that time down ah. because I need them to produce. Right, right. Based, yeah, more profit-based. But yeah. he's arguing with them going, no, I want to teach them so that they can get faster on their own through repetition. And they'll learn the things. When they make a mistake, they know how to fix it next time. Mm-hmm. So then I can that to the whole kung fu thing. You see this kung fu guy, you know, with the big old white beard. Like, that takes an Asian, like, 30 years to grow, right? <laughs> because we just don't grow facial hair that well. Yeah. But do you think the master teaches the young, you know, kung fu person everything? as much as they can right because they want to develop their own style and then be more creative in that but Mm -hmm. they still have the base knowledge to be very very good Mm -hmm. so when i think about education i don't think about holding back data Mm -hmm. okay i'm thinking about helping Mm -hmm. and if there's another loan officer or a real estate agent that can take that and run and build their career more power to them Mm -hmm. i just gave them cliff notes Mm -hmm. but that's because i believe that doors open doors close Mm -hmm. So if it's the right door, it's going to open. I'm not going to force it. Right. Right. I want to be a blessing to those persons. They don't want to work with me. That's okay. Mm-hmm. But if I've given information for them to have success, I've bettered. Mm. 
you know, I better the society, the yeah. community. You feel good at. about yourself. Yeah. Because then I sleep well at night. I'm not holding anything back, right? right. I'm not holding the keys to their life success and happiness. Right. I've given them an opportunity. They make that decision how they take forward, you know, either one step forward or two steps back. Because if I've given you the information and you made a poor decision. Yeah. Again, that's that come to Jesus moment. It's like, hey, you came as you are. Right. I'm going to fix what I can. I'm going to counsel you to not make that mistake again. But if you fall off the wagon, I'm going to teach you how to get back on. So if I have a consumer that comes in, they need a lot of help. Yeah. So I guess build that and try to get them back on track. Right. But are you going to prioritize like if like if if there's someone kicking the ball around, right. And there's someone that's serious about buying. I mean, you have, you still have a business kind of giving that example about corporate versus sure. I want to teach. Yeah. Yeah. So here's the thing. Yeah. I batch record. (laughs) (laughs) If I'm going to record content, it's going to be one time evening, Saturday, whatever. And we're going to record 20 or 30 reels. Yeah. So it's not like that's taking too much out of my schedule. If somebody doesn't come in and they keep asking questions, they wind up working with someone else. Mm-hmm. Then I'm going to communicate with the agent that we're talking to and say, please, just out of respect in the future, you know, if they're going to do that stuff, please let me know because my time is valuable mm. and I want to serve those that want to work with me. Mm-hmm. Okay? And that's being respectful. Yeah, yeah. Let's be perfectly honest, right? Okay. And then when you chase rate, that's typically where you run into problems because mm-hmm. okay? rates change multiple times throughout the day. Mm-hmm. If you watch a stock portfolio and you're watching the Dow, you're talking any particular individual stock and you watch that ticker, that thing will continually flip throughout the trading day. Mm-hmm. A mortgage interest rate is not locked until you typically have a contract mm-hmm. and a determined close date. Remember, mm. shorter the close date, the shorter the lock, the right. less expensive for the consumer. Right. So to quote a rate... And locker rate are two totally different things. So one thing that I have done for 15 years is watch very closely those things that move interest rates. Mm. Okay, So that would be mortgage-backed securities okay, that are traded daily. Mm-hmm. And you're watching very specific coupons. Mm-hmm. And you're looking at milestone items that affect interest rates, mm-hmm. inflation data, unemployment numbers, output for GDP, international events, global events, right. natural disasters. These are things that affect interest rates. Right. We're a global financial society. Mm-hmm. So when you wake up and you look at the opening bell at 6 a.m. West mm-hmm. Coast time, you're either going to have a good day or a bad day. Right. Because there's overnight trading that's happening overseas. Right. And it's affecting our bond market. Right. So because of that, I'm very keenly aware to those sensitive changes Almost like the butterfly effect. It's like just because the butterflies in Zimbabwe, you know, you don't think it affects us. Well, we are naturally affected here mm-hmm. when there are events. Right. So when I'm talking to a client, I said, okay, I cannot be the low price leader. I'm sorry. If that's what you're looking for, mm-hmm. let's cut this short. And you're going to drive yourself crazy because you're always going to be looking for the lowest rate. Right. But what you find is lowest rate comes with companies doing a ton of volume, mm-hmm. but very little counseling, education, service, and yeah. development of a relationship. Yeah, it's more the Walmart That's exactly type right. business. Right? Yeah. So because of that, we're going to be within range, mm-hmm. but I am not micromanaging. I'm not looking at different places like, oh, that's what trying to lower my rate. I have no control. The mm-hmm. bank controls that. Right. Right. So you have what they call um, a pattern of what they call the best execution rate. Let me explain. If you've got several warehouse lines 
um, with a bank and they've got different investors, that bank has to decide what is the average rate that's in the market. Mm-hmm. And they're going to tailor their rate sheets towards that. Mm-hmm. So let's just say, for example, the prevailing national interest rate for 30-year conventional with 25% down with a 740 FICO score is at 6.125. Anything at 6.375 or 5.875 will have different pricing. Mm -hmm. Surprisingly enough, you could have a lower cost at 6.125 than at Mm 6.5. Typically, the higher rate you go, the lower your cost is because the bank will collect more interest over time. Right. But the best execution price was at 6.125 that day. Mm. So there's like a hole in the rate sheet. It's kind of really weird, but you'd have to see it. And I'll show you off. off that makes sense. Yeah. It. It's like buying points kind of, right? Yeah. But the buying points, sometimes there's a best execution. It's like you're going towards averages. Right. Because that's where the coupon is that day. And that's where people are. are but the consumer doesn't know this. Right. So then when they go to shop with another place, they offer that this rate, but they don't have a purchase agreement. So what was the use of shopping? Right. You have nothing to buy. You can't lock it. And interpricing, interday pricing changes happen regularly. So um, you can see the oscillation. It almost looks like an EKG. Right. Right. And you'll see the Japanese candlestick that will be green in the morning and then turn red with a low point. And a lot of times when we're looking at that, I'm looking at trends. Okay, do we close above this floor of support? Do we have enough momentum to hit the next ceiling? If we pass that ceiling, rates will get better. Mm. Well, then I'm going to advise the client, just hold. Right. Hold. Hold, you know, it's like unleash hell. You know, that's the point where we're like, mm-hmm. you have to know when to execute. Right. But I'm also very conservative. So I'm talking to someone like, mm, you know, I'm not a betting man, but this doesn't feel right. Let's right. just lock. Right. But here's the thing. Once it's locked, don't look at rates again. Mm. It's like if you went to put your gas in, I don't, where do you usually put gas in? Uh, AMPM. AMPM. Okay. So AMPM is kind of a low price leader. They're not going to ever be more expensive than a Chevron. Right. I usually go to Costco. Right. But Costco doesn't have a sign up that tells you the price. Mm-hmm. Right. But let's just say I went and then the line's out to Rosedale Highway. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say, no, I got to get to work. I'm leaving. Right. But then I find out the gas price was $4.86. And then I went back and now it's five, uh, $4.91. Mm. Can I go back to the attendant and tell him, hey, can I have the morning's price? <laughs> They're like, no. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, let's just say you put the gas in at 491 and that evening they lowered it to 485. Mm-hmm. You're like, can I get some money back? Like, no, you already <laughs> put the gas in the tank. Right. So that's the same analogy. It's like yeah. when your loan is locked, it's locked. Right. Right. So then let's just say a borrower does that. They lock with you and then the rates drop. Yeah. Most banks will have a renegotiation policy, but it has to create more than 100 basis point change. Mm. And then they'll float you down a little bit. Okay. And if they don't, then people move to other banks. When that happens, though, you have businesses that you work with that have inventory, right? Right. Say a convenience store. Yeah. Okay, let's just say they have a vendor that sells soda. Okay. Or beer. Yeah. So they have a special running on a particular type of beer. Mm -hmm. And they said, we can get you, um, say, 40 cases. This special run the end of this week mm-hmm. okay so they're like well you know that beer doesn't sell very well it's like but you know what we're going to give you a special price on this you can lower your price you'll get more activity mm-hmm. so the business owner buys the beer mm-hmm. so then another vendor comes in a competitor sells the same beer okay says but oh you got i'll give you a better deal than that so they lower it by a certain number of you know cents per case 
Mm-hmm. So net net, probably had ten bucks, mm. right? Mm-hmm. So they order it from the second vendor mm. who promised the lower cost. Mm-hmm. So then the first vendor who you just placed this order comes in. They've got the truckload. They're unloading and putting it. In, oh no no stop stop don't don't put it in the cooler. Mm. I'm so sorry I didn't call you, but this other guy offered this. Can you lower your price? Mm. No man, this is already on my books. Like we already pre-sold this to you. Mm. Nope, sorry, cancel. Just put it back in the truck. Wow. So then they call the second vendor mm. and they're like, hey, I just canceled the first order. When are you going to bring my shipment? Oh, man, that's not going to come for a week. We don't have it in stock right now. <laughs> so what do you think happens when that business owner calls the first vendor and says, hey, I know you were just here, but can you bring the beer? Right. He's not going to want to. No. Right. Because you burned him. Right. Now he's already told his management staff, he's already pre-sold the cases. He split the order right. in order to get it sold. Mm-hmm. These are real economic conditions, right? People right. think about this in business. For sure, yeah. Do you think you're going to get the same deal again next time? Oh, definitely not. Okay, so think of a bank yeah. that locks 700000 a million, a million, a quarter, and then all of a sudden the borrowers walk. Mm. They have to absorb that expense. Mm. So what do they do? They have to raise cost over all loans mm. in order to absorb the losses taken on the canceled loans. Gotcha. This is why rate and lock pull through is so important. Mm. That makes a lot of sense. I never thought about it in that analogy. Yeah, because it's money. Yeah. I mean, there's no different. It's just we're dealing with money. We're not dealing with a physical product. Mm. But if we do our job right, you're going to get keys. That's pretty physical. Right. Right? Yeah. And if you do it right, that house is going to go up in value and change your financial ability in the future. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of value in what we do. Mm. And I think, you know, based on your knowledge, like there's no way you can be the low price leader because like I, I was, for example, I was doing my, my, my sister's taxes and um, I told her, I was like, hey, there's no way I'm going to compete on price. You know, I cannot do tax preparation for 29 bucks. Yeah. That was like, there's no, (laughs) absolutely no way. Like, yeah, I have too much knowledge. I I provide too much value where it's just like, I know what I'm worth. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of the same way with you. It's like, you know, you have over 20 years of experience. You've done the reps. Like you were saying, you're, you're going to be that hinge that closes the door. So there comes a cost with that, but you also have a, a greater probability of success. Yes. So it's like, are you willing to pay that premium? to guarantee your success. I mean, you're also looking at the, you know, the market and what's going to fluctuate the interest rates. I mean, what lender does that? There are some in town. We have very good lenders. But they're very, really there's very little, I'll tell but, you. Yeah. <laughs> but again, your personal experience to be varied, right? So again, yeah. this is one thing I don't get out much. Like right. I, I really don't like I, I'm, I'm great talking to you here, but if we were, it'd be like a high school dance. I'd be sitting. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go to the back to get a drink again, come back because it's just it's not my nature. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but yeah, I guess the encouraging thing yeah. is this. If people do things with the right heart, they do with the right idea of service, there's winning right. going on. For sure, yeah. It's when people are trying to be manipulative and they want what they want and they're not thinking about the end result. That's where I think the pain starts. Yeah, yeah. You got to have like you about the industry families. is the worst thing that could happen. you know. And that's where I think the breakdown can be problematic because it becomes systemic. You know? right. People get into that point. It's like a virus within something and you got to get that out. Right. We had a lot of people entering the mortgage industry between 2020 and 2022 mm-hmm. because of the low rates. and this. Right. So right now there's a lot of desperation in the market. You can hear it. Mm. Agents are telling me like, you're the fourth lender to call. I'm like, I didn't call. 
<laughs> you know? <laughs> but it's because they're all hungry. Right, 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 right. And they need to remain solvent. The only way to do it is to do loans. Right. Right. So mm-hmm. loan officers don't get paid unless they close loans. Right. Unless you may get an hourly rate because you work for a bank, you're required to get that. Mm. And brokers are the same way. You know, brokers have to work off a margin and they can shop the loan with five different lenders. But if you don't send enough loans to those banks, they're not going to give you priority service. Right. Right. And on top of that, the situation with staffing, you have staff, Mm -hmm. whether or not you do any type of tax planning advice and or the things for your tax and accountancy practice, Mm -hmm. bookkeeping, whatever else you do within your business, Mm -hmm. you can't keep the doors open. Right. You still have bills to pay. Right. Right. So when you start looking at it that way, the writing should be on the wall. It's not just the phone ringing. It's closing. Right. Right. So you need to make sure that you're consistent. Mm-hmm. And if you're smart, you're going to save for the winter. Right. Right. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Pay as much debt off as you can. I jokingly tell people our parent company is Sierra Pacific Mortgage. We're a mid to low um smaller size, if you will. We're in 48 states. We're about a 3 to $4 billion funding company, mm. but we're debt-free. Wow. And our warehouse lines are 100% available. There's no special, like, fancy business going on. I'd like to say we don't, we're not akin to any shareholders. So mm-hmm. um, I remember our corporate uh, COO saying, during the time that we've had all this massive success because of low interest rates mm-hmm. and things, our owner and business professional here who's been in the business since 1984 as a mortgage company has not been buying planes and putting his name on stadiums. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, dude, you're right. You know, oh, that's funny because he's been through this. He's been through several cycles. Mm. So when it's good, you put a war chest together and you save. Yeah, for sure. Grow your you reserves. Still live comfortably. Yeah. Right. Mm. But it's also putting those things in perspective. Yeah. So that's why, you know, we, we try our best to be, focused on the right things and you know we're still gonna fun i had a great time you know doing right. a lot of fun things but when mm-hmm. it's time to work work right you know and the sun's out you do your work right so makes sense man i i love it and i think that you know goes to show your expertise i mean uh for anyone looking to buy a house you know what i've learned from alan is like you you, you have the best of both worlds i mean it's, it feels like you have a mortgage person with the finance background that understands you know what's going on in the industry and and you're going to basically close every time and as long as it's not outside of his you know not outside of his control so yeah i just don't want people to have uh pre-qualifications not valid and that's the truth and it's it's not fair to the people accepting an offer either right really that's just so key yeah right i mean i have real estate agents that religiously will say listen i've never heard of this lender before let's cross qualify with alan Mm -hmm. and i think their impression is is that cross-qualification means I want to take that borrower. Mm. That's not what's happening. You know mm. what's happening? When I look at their pre-qualification and I validate the things that they say are pre-approved, mm-hmm. okay, I'm telling that real estate agent, if this lender does not perform, I can step in and close that transaction. Mm. That's all I'm doing. Mm. But it also gives the seller and that agent some confidence it will close. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. It's like it's like you got the stamp of approval. Yes, yeah, because yeah. I'm like, hey, if it doesn't work, great. <laughs> yeah. But I can help you to close it. Yeah. Right? Because yeah. when those shortcuts are taken, I'm going to tell you before you accept that offer. Right. 
And that doesn't happen in all situations, but it does because sometimes they just don't have any track history with that lender or they had a bad experience or somebody told somebody and there's always some kind of story, but yeah. you know, I, I just, I'm there to serve. And if that's the way that I can leverage them, yeah. more power to them. Why did you go into uh, with, into underwriting instead with all your knowledge? I'm just curious as opposed to origination. Because I make more money doing origination. <laughs> Thanks for the transparency. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, honestly, but yeah. I get to work with people. Let's yeah. be honest. Yeah. I love people. Yeah. You know, I mean, underwriters, they really only talk to processors and yeah. loan officers occasionally. Right. You know, um, there is a distinction. So let me do lay this out. Um, I process and under, I process and originate my own loans. Oh, really? So I don't hand it off to a processor. Mm. So that's why I know where that file is start to finish. Gotcha. So I'll be the single point of contact in most all cases, except for escrow to their funder. Our funding department, they handle that. But I'm involved with it. So if you call me or text me, I'll tell you, yeah, that's what's going on with the loan. Why? Because I'm the one that processes. I know what's there. Mm. You know, so there's no real fluff. Now, as it gets busier, you might have to wait a little bit longer or... If I do need to get help, it'll be leveraged help, but I'm still very involved with that process, mm. which makes a difference, I think. Right. Because there's nothing worse than calling. It's like, oh, let me check in. And they got to call this person and that person's on lunch and this person. And they never get an answer back until the next day. And you're like, I just had a simple question. Right. Right. So that that is a distinction because there are very few loan officers that actually process. Through. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Um, I've learned so much with you being here on the show, man. It's been a learning experience. And, you know, I think that, there's a whole new world to mortgage that I don't even know of. <laughs> so I appreciate everything that you've shared. Alan, what, what do you have just, you know, final, final comments? Like what do you have in store? What are you excited about going forward? So, um, this is very new as of today. Okay. Um, I've been working for Agape Mortgage since 2004 and I was hired, or pardon me, since 2008. But our principals, Mike and Sherry George started the business in 2004. We've been in the same building the whole time. Well, Mike's retiring. Really? Wow. So I will officially be taking over the branch at the end of this. Wow. Morning. Congratulations. So, yeah, That's you. exciting. Not exciting. I hate, <laughs> I hate management. I would rather just work with people. I gotcha. But yeah. um, they have been blessed with uh, you know good health and they want to travel and do the things and they're like family to me. So yeah. I want them all to have that success. So this is really new. Like literally you're the first, this is obviously the first public announcement of it. Yeah. But um, yeah, so that that's a new change. So moving forward, um, it's something that I'm at the office alone now. So I'm going to need probably find one other originator yeah. that has a straight values that I'm looking for to help somebody that has the right heart to do things. And yeah, that's something that I'll be looking forward to very soon. But really, it's just, it's kind of scary for me. I'll be very honest. You know, I, I just, I want to do my best to serve other people. But the management side has never been attractive to me. <laughs> you know, it just, but I have nobody to manage except myself right, right now. Right, right. So, but yeah, it's uh, something that's very new. So awesome. Looking forward, though, still helping a lot of families. We have a great database of very loyal clients and, you know, agents that really trust what we do to help them to make good decisions for their clients. And then, you know, they're going to be taken care of. Awesome, man. Uh, congratulations on Thank that. You. Congratulations. So if you're alone or you want to be a loan originator, or if you're an originator looking for a new team, you can contact <laughs> this wasn't a plug to call. <laughs> just trying to market people. You can contact Alan on Instagram <laughs> at Alan Medeiros. And it's just, we'll put it on the show notes down below as well. But if you're just looking for a loan officer as well, I mean, you got the best in town in my personal opinion. I've never worked with you, but based on your, you know, your experience, your resume, I mean, I couldn't give you no, you know, 
better words. So, uh, again, Alan, thank you for being on the show. It's been a pleasure. Uh, thanks for taking the time, and uh, we'll see you. We'll see you soon.